Well, good morning, Journey Church. How's everybody doing this morning? We good? Come on, man. Amazing time in worship together. Would you agree? Isn't it great to be in a house where we can just get to worship freely? You get to experience the presence of God. Can we just give it up for God one more time for giving us that atmosphere? Man, we never want to, we never want to take for granted the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit be in our presence and to move amongst us. So again, thanks so much for being in this house. Thank you guys for joining us online. We're excited you're here as well. We are kicking off a new series called Stages, and I get the privilege and pleasure of bringing week one to you. And we're going to talk about an amazing, an amazing subject. I know you're going to love it's going to. I hope it's going to cover from right, right here on this tip of my finger all the way over to here and everywhere in between. Um, just like right here, it's going to hit everybody. We're going to talk about an amazing subject called this. Middle adulthood. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. This is the, this is the stage of life. If you watch the, um, the, the insurance commercials where the guy's like, watch this guy when he sits down, he just goes, ah. he's like, why did I make that noise? And it's cause I'm over 30 and I can. And then when you get beyond 30, you get these really cool things called this, which I've never had to preach in until now. Somebody went, eh. Yes. You can improve on ugly. It gets worse. Yeah, getting older. This this stage, what I want to define as, because I think some of you are going, middle adulthood, that's not really not me. This is what I want to personally define middle adulthood as. You're married, and you're thinking about kids because you know how to make them. You're just making some strides not to at this point. All the way up to, it's your last kid, and you're just like, please get out of my house. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> You, it's just that time. It's just middle. It's just that middle where, you know, it's good. It's not great, but it's, all, you know, it's all those different things. It's just the middle. And we're kind of working through this. So we're going to start our first stage off in middle. And the thing about our middle is that we will spend a lot of time in this time, this phase of our life. We're right. Married thinking, knowing, but not. And all the way up to please leave. We'll spend a lot of time here thinking back to the past. We'll spend so much of our time focused on the past and backward. And we will glorify something in the past that is just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's the greatest thing ever when we look back. I think what I need to do is just give you an illustration rather than tell you. Would that be okay to do that? I'm just going to, I'm going to ask somebody to come out. This, this, this will help you out when you're thinking back. Yeah, here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, just wait. It gets, it gets better. Here we go. All right. Come on, check this out. Yep. Number 22 in your program, number one in your heart. Yep. Fullback. Linebacker. Five foot nine, 172. Then. <laughs> I'm like five, eight and a quarter now. I don't know what happened. I think all this is bringing me down. But when you look in the back, you see, you see like the Letterman jacket. You think how great things are. So what happens when we look back? Look at this. We either see success or we sell failure. We see one of the two. When we see success, it looks like this. Like when I think back to when I played ball, like Al Bundy had nothing on me. Four touchdowns, pole cut, whatever. Morville Trooper, class of 97, right here, baby. I'm telling you. I was in it to win it. Every time I touched the ball, I was mowing people down. Not true. I scored one touchdown my entire high school career from the two-yard line. Now, that wasn't a 98-yard. That was like one of these. I'm in. And it was one of those moments where, like, they were killing us everywhere else, and my coach was like, I don't know, give it to him. 
And he hadn't touched the ball much. <laughs> so there I go. And I was so happy. And everybody else was like, oh, good, let's get off the field. But when I played ball, no kidding, when I played football, I was like one of 23 guys on my entire varsity football team. Class 2A, baby, state of Mississippi. We rolled hard. We were conditioned, and I played ball at the level where when I walked onto the field for the kickoff, I didn't come off till the buzzer went off, and I was like dragging limbs behind me. We, I just stayed on the field the whole time. Offense, defense, special teams, didn't matter. I was out there. And I think back on the success. One time, best running back in the whole north part of our state, played for a city called North Pontotoc. It's a school. He was amazing. I mean, this guy had offers, probably a three-star, four-star in our classification now. Really, really good. And all week long, we had heard about this guy. We had, we had a kid put a jersey on with his number on it. And we, I don't think that eighth grader made it much farther past that. We beat the snot out of this kid, just hitting him on the field all the time. So we get to the game. Everybody's just focused on this one guy because he's so good. And back 25 years ago, I was actually really fast running. I'm fast now, but just not as fast. And I can prove it to you later if you want. Um, and I played this position called the trooper because that was our mascot. It's the only thing we came up with. But I would stand behind the kicker. So he would look at me and nod. He would take a few steps, drop his hand. And by the time he would kick the ball, I was running past his right leg. So it's all legal. And I would just come down the field like a stealth, like just running. Bobbing and weaving, nobody could find me. And this cat was standing back there looking up. He's looking down. He's licking his lips. He's, you know, he's praying to God, all that good stuff. And he catches the ball, looks left, turns right. And I mean, I just tattooed him right there. Feet come off the ground. Greatest hit of the night. Like four seconds run off the clock, you know, boom. Rest of the night, he put like 400 yards on us. Ran over. He would run past me and wink and smile. Like, so I'm thinking about the greatness, right? Looking back at the greatness and the, the success that I had, but what's the truth is that the failure was there too. See, when we look back, we're going to see one of these two or we're going to see both of them. And we don't need to live in the past. And I can't because it's really hot in this thing. Why in the world people invented Naugahyde is beyond me. Um, but you've got to let go of the past. You've got to move on. You can't stay in the past because really it's not as good as you think it is looking back. I promise you, there is no way ever I would put that jacket on and walk back into my high school hallway to stay for four years. Uh-uh. Like, I know things creak and crack and hurt now, but I like life better here than I did back there. Like, acting was never good to anyone. We don't want to go backward. And the problem with the backwards is that it's holding on to us, or we think it is. Let's ask this next question. So here's the question, what from your past is holding you back? This is a question we're going to have to ask this morning and to look into scripture to see what the truth is. Because I want you to know this before we go any farther. Whatever your answer is to this, there's a truth that exists that if you don't hear the truth, see the truth and accept the truth, you're going to suffer for a very, very long time. And here's the truth right here. You'll see if God cannot forgive your past sins, then he has no power in your life, no power in your present life and no power in your future life. I need you to see this statement as it reads on stage because it's very, very true. If God is not in charge of everything from your past to forgive you of those things, then how can he forgive you for something now or for something in the future? He's got to take care of the past because that's the one thing that's keeping us from heaven. So he has to be able to forgive that. So if, if, he, can't, if he can't forgive your past, then he can't forgive your present or your future either. And he's not present in your life. And we're going to look at two characters in Scripture that I think 
through very different circumstances, understood this, but they were able to look past it to see what the word of the Lord was telling them and to move forward. So if you would, we're going to be looking at a, a character from the Old Testament. His name is Joshua. And Joshua is one of these guys that over the course of my life who I read, and I just really love how he led and the things that he did. So Joshua is one of the only two men from Egypt that came out in the um, Exodus that actually got to go into the promised land. He's one of two spies who went into the land and said, we can take them. They're bigger, but we can, we can conquer them. He was a, a military general in the army that Moses was commanding. He's the one when they're in battle and Moses is lifting his arms and he would get tired. His hands would come down. They'd pick his arms back up. And Joshua's down there fighting. He's like, his arms are up. We're winning. Let's go. His arms are down. Let's go. Come on. Freedom. You know, whatever. He's like pushing them to go farther and to do more. He was a, a general. He was someone who understood the call of the Lord. He saw Moses at his best and Moses at his worst. He saw leadership that way. And when Moses was coming to the end of his life, God says, hey, Joshua, you're next. You're going to leave. But listen, take courage. I'm with you. So when we get to the end of the book that is patterned after Joshua's life, it's named after him. The book of Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 24, is the kind of the end of his life. And what is so interesting about this character is that he waits to the end of his life to give like this last charge to the followers, to those that he was in command of. And it's interesting how he references them. So this is in uh, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. So let's read it and then we'll, we'll kind of pick it apart a little bit. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you'll serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This is his declaration to the people that he is leading. He's like, listen, you, you keep slipping back into your past. You keep wanting to go back. I've been leading you this way. You've got to let go of that thing back there. Quit thinking life was so much better. He reminds them, you want to go back to what you had in Egypt? Do you want to go to the gods that we've seen here and how they worship them? They've done nothing for these people. Is that what you would rather have? And he doesn't stand there waiting for their answer. He doesn't. He gives them the answer that's twofold. He says, hey, listen, as for me and my family, we're going to obey and serve the Lord. That's his firstfold answer. For me and that that I'm in charge of purposely right here, this family. But do you remember when I came out and I said, I think I'm going to try to speak to the room that reaches from here to here? He's talking about this family in front of him as well. I'm with you. I'm leading you. I'm taking you somewhere. I want you to see all the great things that, that Joshua had done in his life. And as he gets to the end of his life, as he's knowing his time is coming to an end, he doesn't make it this massive speech of how he just really hopes they've enjoyed his leadership. He gives them something that's forward-looking. He says, let go of the past. Nothing back there was that great. Look to where we're going. Look where we are. He literally took his foot. This is the saying we have. It's called put your foot down, right? I'm putting my foot down. I'm drawing a line in the sand. This is, this is what I'm standing on. And he put his foot down. But the thing is this, is that what he put his foot down was a foundation. 
It's okay to put your foot down, but you better place it on the foundation. What is the foundation? It's the word of God, which is what? It equals truth. If you're going to be a person who's going to put your foot down in your family, in your household, wherever, you better be standing on truth. And Joshua didn't come with any of his opinions. He came with truth. He said, look, I know where you've been and I know what you used to do, but it didn't get you anywhere. I was there when I watched Moses. I've seen his frustrations. I've seen his failure. He didn't get to come to where you are because he didn't obey. And as I told you, he was only one of two original out of Egypt that got to go into the promised land. There's something special about this guy and his dedication to the Lord. But his dedication to not continually look behind him and be holding on to what his past was. He commanded armies. He made some decisions that affected other people's lives. He made decisions that affected his lives. He made decisions that affected his soldiers' lives. But he wasn't holding on to that because he was following what God told him to do. And in this stage of our life, families, moms, dads, couples, it doesn't matter. You that are hoping to be married one day, you that maybe you're thinking it's empty nest, it doesn't matter. We must place our foot down on a firm foundation because if it's not truth, what are we standing on? And at this point, we got to quit standing on things that just make us feel good. When people are suffering and we go, listen, you know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. If you don't think the weight of the cross was too much for Jesus at one point, why was he in the garden saying if there's any other way? God will give you too much. Why? Because you need his power to go forward. God helps who helps themselves. No, he doesn't. He's not in the business of making you happy. He's in the business of making you conform to his son's image so that you can receive perfection through his son's sacrifice. That is truth. And these things that we say to make people feel good, it does make them feel good. It's not biblical because it's not truth. He wants us to serve him. And if we look at the very first four words, he says, so fear the Lord. We read in Solomon's writing that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. He's telling us that when we fear God, we shouldn't cower down and bite our nails and cry. He's big enough to make us do that, but that's not how he comes to us. He says, revere him, love him, follow him, obey him, fear the Lord and serve him. How? Wholeheartedly. Put everything you got into it, even when you don't understand even when you're hanging onto the past, turn your head and let go and move. You can't get where you're going if you're tied down to something, guys. If there was a rope tied to the wall and I was hanging onto it, and I was like, hey, somebody come, come catch me, I'm going to come off the stage, but I wouldn't let go, would I fall? One of the coolest things about me and having three kids was helping them learn how to swim, well, actually making them learn how to drown. Because I'd be in the water going, just jump, jump in, I got you. I never said, jump, I'll catch you and you'll swim. I was like, I got you. And I would just like, oh, and they would just go down. I didn't do that. <laughs> well, not all the way. Kind of held them under for a little while <laughs> and then bring them back up. Would they have ever gotten wet if they hadn't jumped in though? Because they're hanging on to their pads. They're hanging on to the fear. I've never jumped in the water. I don't know how to do this. But something must let go to go in. And we can't go forward if we're hanging on to our past. If we're hanging on to those failures that we think are just the worst thing ever. It's the one thing keeping me from following you. Oh God, if you would just forgive me for that thing that happened 27 years ago. 
We have to let go. Listen to what happened in Joshua's life. This, is, this won't be on your screen. Chapter 24, verse 31. Because of the way Joshua lived his life and what he shared with the people at the end of his life. Remember, not, not when he first started. At the end, because it was a testimony for how he lived himself. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. Those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. His legacy lived on. His legacy of serving the Lord wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord, serving him, carried on to those who outlived him. And the elders that he surrounded himself with and he poured himself into that continued to live, they continued to follow what he did. We in our homes, in this middle adult time, can leave a legacy. And it doesn't matter how old your kids are. Isn't that great? Nearly 23 years in ministry total, uh, and 20 of those plus, I was in student ministry, and I got to hang out with teenagers and families for, I mean, two, two over two decades. And one of my favorite statements to ever make to parents or families or whatever was, it's not too late until it's too late. And Brandon, is it too late for my kid? They're 17. They've just really been a troubled person. All like, No, it's never too late until it's too late. Well, my kid's 23 now, and they're just not going to listen to me. It's never too late until it's too late. It's not too late to shape a foundation in your home, but you've got to put your foot down, but you better be standing on a foundation of truth and not your opinions. And it better not be a foundation of what I think the Bible says. You can't know the Word of God if you're not reading the Word of God. You can't know the character of God if you're not studying His character, which is written in Scripture. You can't know how he talks if you don't understand his character. You don't understand what his word says and you listen for his words to speak to you. When you, when you fear him and you serve him wholeheartedly, he'll speak to you. I want us to fast forward 400 years. So Joshua serves and he dies. Israel continues forward. His legacy continued on. They struggled some, right? They struggled some. New generations come along and they hear stories. Oh, wasn't it better back in? They kind of dip back into some sin. Well, they, they finally get to their second king, which is David. And we know David. We heard about him a few weeks ago from Pastor Mike. And David was, you know, the runt of the litter of his family. Uh, nobody really, you know, he smelled bad. He hung out with animals. Um, He's this little teenager, you know, kind of cocky, comes in. He's like, I can beat that giant. And he comes in, you know, throws a stone, kills a giant. Not only kills him, cuts his head off. Like, you know, that dude was awesome. This tiny kid cut the head off of like a nine-foot dude. That's awesome. And so anyway, he does all that. Uh, he's anointed as king, but, but Saul is still king. Saul gets real jealous because all the women are like, David's awesome, Saul, you're okay. You know, it's, it's just that repeating thing. So he gets jealous. But anyway, he loses his kingdom, dies. David takes over. He reigns. Everything's great. And then he gets lazy and he begins to like send his team off to war when he's just like, you guys go. You're awesome. You're, I mean, you're, you're basically, you know, being commanded by Tom Brady, whatever he touches, he's going to win the Super Bowl. So you guys just go off and go do your thing. And then all of a sudden he comes, you know, he's sitting there and he looks on his roof one day and it's like, Ooh, Hey, there's a naked woman. Cool. I want that. And so he brings her over and things happen and she ends up pregnant. And he's like bringing her husband home and let, let him, you know, do his stuff. And that, and then but he's like, Nope, I'm not going to do it. And so David's like, all right, have him killed. Just kill him. That's fine. And I'll just bring her in the palace. Anyway, then this prophet named Nathan comes along. And he's like, Hey man, you're kind of a bad guy and says some things to him. David is just tore up. His whole sin has been 
just confessed before everyone. Just his life is wrecked. And for David, it was like one bad decision, another bad decision, another bad decision. He just kept, I mean, just a massive snowball in his life. And then he begins to write. He's restored and he begins to write. In the Psalms, we have several of his writings that were included. And in Psalm 32, this is something that's really neat that I had never seen before. And I want us to read this, and I I think you'll see it too uh, when we read this together. But this really neat thing happens in this passage. So Psalm 32, verses um, 8 through 11 reads this way. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. Any pure hearts in the room this morning? Nobody's shouting. Let me read it again. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Okay, one person. One person. Y'all, when the altar call comes, weeping. Better happen, I'm just kidding. Did you see what happened in that first part? He said the Lord said God himself like picks up David's pen and says, you know what? I got, let me write this for you. I will. David, this man after God's own heart described by God himself in scripture relinquished the writing so God could take a moment and write the story for him. And if you look in this passage, you'll see a couple of things. He says, I'll guide you along the best pathway. I'll advise you and watch over you. But don't be like the stubborn mule. Don't be like that one who just puts his arms down. And I have no context for what a, the biblical thing of what a mule would look like back then. I have now. And I think about a mule, you know, they're big and they're, they're, they're not real bright. But they're stubborn. Like, they, they just don't want to go somewhere. They're not going, and you with your force aren't strong enough. So I'm thinking, I'm going to get to Ford. I'm going to get the truck. I'm going to hook it up to the ball, and I'm pulling you. you got your one mule power. i got 230 horsepower. Let's go. And I can pull you where I want you. God is saying this to us. He is saying, don't be like these animals that are stubborn and going to sit down where they are when I am pulling you to a better place. Remember, I will, I will is what God says. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing success, unfailing favor of men and uh, never ending popularity, loads and loads of money. No, what does God write? Unfailing what? unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Here's a question in your greatest sin in your life. What did you need more of money? Success, popularity, looks, clothing, friends, or did you need more love? Church family, I'm telling you in my greatest sin, The sin separating me from eternity in heaven with Jesus and God. My greatest sin, I needed love. And David is sitting in a position of, I am the worst person ever. He's done everything he told me would do and I've turned my back on him. God, how could you ever, how could you ever love me or trust me again? He says, unfailing love. 
unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. You know, sometimes trust and serve can be almost like synonymous, the way they're written. And so if Joshua, he would say, we're going to serve. And David's writing, he says, we're going to trust. And it's all given unto God. And he says, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad all who obey him. Shout for joy all whose hearts are pure. At this moment, David said, hey, my motives may not have been pure. My actions may not have been pure. But I'm telling you right now, in God, he has cleaned me. He has forgiven me. And he has restored me. And I am pure. That is what the guarantee that the gospel brings to each and every one of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. He will purify us. He will cleanse us. He will cover us. In his salvation, in his grace, in his mercy. So no, in those times of our life, in our greatest sin, our greatest offense, we don't need more money, power, popularity, whatever it is. We need love. We need grace. We need mercy. That comes from a loving father. And it comes through the person of Jesus and his sacrifice given freely to those who would put their faith and trust and believe in him. So what do we see in Psalm 32? Forgiveness, protection, service, all of this coming from God. I want you to know David is not sitting in a place of desire. And remember earlier I asked this, what is that one thing holding you back? David's not sitting in a place of desire going, oh, I hope, God, you can do it. I mean, I really hope you can forgive me. If you, if, if, I, I mean, if, it's not even in God's vocabulary. He's sitting in a seat of done. He is saying all these things. He's letting God write it because God's the one who's done it. God's the one that brings the forgiveness, not us. We bring the repentance. We bring the sorrow. And then he forgives. I want you to see this quote from John Piper. I just love this. He said, God is in in the business of not just covering our sins, but also of shaping our character. I mean, he's going to cover our sins. But he's going to shape our character. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And that wasn't just written prior to the big fall with Bathsheba and everything else that happened after that. Like it continued. David even wrote, restore the joy of my salvation. Why? Because he was broken. And he's sitting in the seat of done. He's sitting in the seat of God, you've already done this. He is not holding on to the past anymore. And so if we go back to our original question, what is that thing in your life that's holding you back? What is the thing in your life that's holding you back from being where you can be? I guarantee you if I said right now, hey man, how many of us would raise our hands and say, there's this sin in my life, there's this thing I've done, and man, I just, I can't move forward because it's holding on to me. Some of you may raise your hand and I would look at you and say, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Nothing is holding on to you. You're holding on to something. And that one thing is keeping you from going forward. That one thing is keeping you from standing on a firm foundation. Because again, if God can't forgive your past, he has no power anywhere else in your life. When you read scripture like, far as the east is from the west, I've forgiven your sins to remember them no more. And we're begging God. This thing happened years ago, decades ago. I I don't even remember the circumstances. I just know I was wrong. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And he's going, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're asking for. Because it's already been forgiven. 
We can't move forward in our families if we're holding on to the past. So again, I told you that, you know, Joshua, when he stood, he said, as for me and my house, and he wasn't just circling himself and talking about, you know, wife and three kids and a dog behind him. He was talking about them, but he was talking about them right here. Which is why I felt the need to say, hey, church, I think it's going to cover from here to here. This is the word the Lord's bringing to us. You got to trust me. You want to you want to move forward? Let go of the past. Here's a couple of next steps for us. It's time to let go of the past. You cannot be the person that God's calling you to be if you're holding on to your past. You can't. It will keep you from doing so many things. It'll keep you from speaking to people, from sharing your story, sharing the gospel. If you've ever come and sat in my office and shared things with me, I've had people say, I don't know if I can tell you this, man. Like, I got some really bad things to share. And I'm like, oh, I could share some really bad things with you too. I was offensive to God at one point in my life as well. But you don't have to stay in that seat of shame when Jesus says, hey, I will clean you and I will call you my brother. I will call you my sister. My father will adopt you into his kingdom because of what I have done, what I have accomplished, the grace and the mercy that I bring. That is a seat of accomplishment. And guess what? We get to stand in it. We get to stand on the truth of Jesus and go, I don't know why I get this, but I do. This is like crazy look on my face right now. That's how excited I get when I talk about the gospel because it's truth. There's very few things I'll stand on. Like even my ability to stand on one foot is not good. But I will stand on the truth of God all the time because it's not my words to defend. They're his. I just get to tell people about them. I get to say you are forgiven or you can be forgiven. You don't have to hold on to that. He will wipe every bit of that out of your out of your past. Now, other people may remember it, but who cares? They're, t- they're holding on to your stuff to make them feel better about the stuff they're holding on to. Let it go. And Paul himself, New Testament guy, the one that was like persecuting the church and killing people, burning down households that contained children, women, elderly. He didn't care if they were part of the way they were going to die. And he says, hey, the chief of all sinners right here, nobody can out Paul. And there's been times I'm like, I don't know, buddy, I'll probably give you a run for your money back in the day. We all stand in that place of separation from a holy God where our sin is holding on to us. But by the grace of God and the love of a son to come to this earth and give us salvation. It's his free gift to us who all who believe put our faith and trust in him. The Bible says we will not perish. No, but we will have eternal life through Christ Jesus. That is some great news. But not only let go of the past. It's okay to put your foot down, but you better be placing it on truth. Quit telling people that, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So go just go help do something. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a good American. You can do that. You can figure this out. Stand on truth. And literally tell people, hey, you, honestly, you can't do this. Not without Jesus. Not without the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not going to be easy. But I'm telling you, you can do it. Place yourself on truth and be confident in the truth you're standing on. And if you're standing on anything other than the Word, I'm telling you, if you're standing on anything other than this Word, 
It's not truth. Your opinions don't matter in the gospel. Truth is truth. In our home, we, we, we literally have um, that verse out of Joshua that's on the wall. It's an excerpt. And it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's just on the wall. And we, we have it on the wall because my wife and I and our family went to dinner with some friends several years ago when we were in Mississippi ministering in a church. And um, they had it. It's like pallet wood and it has this writing on it. It's really neat. So we were like, oh, that's beautiful. Man, we love that. And um, she was like, oh, thanks. I made it. And blah, blah, blah. They've made several things. And I think I remember commenting about how great it was just to see scripture on the wall as a great remembrance. And so um, as we were getting ready to leave, she just comes walking up with it. And she's like, here, I want you guys to have this. No, no, we can't take that. No, that's your art. Don't, don't, we'll make one. It won't be as good, whatever. But she just insisted, we can make another one. We want you to have this. And so we've served in a couple churches since then from Mississippi to Alabama, and it's still hanging on our wall. And I'm telling you, here's a really cool thing, is that those times when we get to bring that passage up, the scripture that resides in our home and issues with our family, it's like, look, I, I know I'm going to say this, it's going to offend you. I don't care what your friends are doing. I don't care what their parents say, okay? I don't care what's happening over here. I don't care what's... What does this say? And this is truth. We're going to serve the Lord. So when everything else is going on, it's okay. We just put our faith and our stand on truth, and that's what we do. And family, can I be honest with you? It's actually worked. The times when I haven't stood on truth, those didn't work. But when we go, hey man, this is, this is our mirror and it says do this, it works. And so we don't have to worry when we're standing on truth. Put your foot down, that's fine. But you better be standing on a foundation that's the word. Or guess what? Your foundation's going to falter. It's going to fall. It's going to slip. You're going to have skint knees and elbows from falling down so much because it doesn't make sense. And your last step is this. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Serve him daily. Fear him with wisdom. Fear him with the knowledge that he gives. Give him the reverence that he deserves. But serve him daily. It is a conscious choice every day to wake up and serve. It's just a choice we make. I read Vody Balkum make a statement one time and he said, uh, the only reason we get to wake up into the mercy of God is that his judgment didn't kill us last night. Let that sink in for a moment. And we get to wake up into his mercy because his judgment didn't kill us in the night. Because every day we make a conscious choice to serve him or to disobey him. And he withholds that judgment because of his son. For those who have been saved by his son. And if you haven't received salvation from Jesus, that judgment is coming to you. And God will not hold back his hand of judgment. When that day comes... His judgment will be final. I'm so excited I get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I mourn for those who will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And God will literally turn his back on those. I don't know who you are. I have no association with you because you did not know my son. And if you're sitting in that seat today that you don't know Jesus, do not leave this room. Do not leave this property. Do not leave your couch if you're at home watching without calling to him for salvation. Because he will give it freely. If you would, let's bow our heads just for a few moments. And I want us to take just a moment and get just very quiet, just very intimate with ourselves. This is, this is between you and God.
in this moment. Just like the question we asked earlier, what is, but what is the one thing that may be holding you back? I just wonder if some of you would be honest with me and you were to raise your hand right now and say, hey, I, I feel like I've got something in my past that, that I'm just holding on to. If anybody would just be honest and raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, wow, come on. Man, all over the room. Hey, for you that raised your hand, I want you to know you're amongst people who have the same struggle. And we continue to believe the lie that Satan tells us that, hey, God can't use you. He doesn't want to use you. Your past is too bad. And he is a liar. And we don't have to live in that fear. We don't have to live in that lie. And I'm telling you, if you raised your hand and Jesus has covered you, that sin is forgotten. Does God want us to acknowledge it? Yes. Don't live in habitual sin. Acknowledge it. Say you have it. But he has forgiven it. It should not be what you hold on to. It does not define you. I wonder if anyone in the room would raise their hand to say, Hey, I'm that guy. I'm that girl that, that you said, I've not, I've not given myself to salvation. I, Jesus is not the Lord of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here now knowing God's judgment is going to come to me if my life were to end today. I would spend eternity in hell because I do not know Jesus. If that is you and you desire salvation, if you'd raise your hand. Man, we want to talk to you. We want to pray with you and help move you in your steps. If you raised your hand at any point and you really just feel like this is something you can't deal with on your own, we have a prayer team that's here. Your pastors will talk with you and share with you. But we have people that will be on either side of the stage ready to pray, ready to speak with you, pray over you and encourage you. They will tell you truth. It will let you know that that sin does not hold you down. Father, we're so thankful for this day. God, thank you for being in this space. Father, thank you for meeting with us in this room. Father, I thank you for your servants of Joshua and David. God, so many others who truly followed you, who served you wholeheartedly. God, I thank you for their example. God, I thank you that in, in the life of David, one who, who fumbled and failed so much, God, that you didn't hold that over him. You restored him. God, you broke him, but you restored him. And his faith and his trust was holy in you. And Father, I thank you for those that raised their hands. So many hands have gone up in this room today. And God, I pray that you would speak truth into their heart, that Satan would have no joy in their life today and no more opportunity to hold them back. And God, they would truly let go of the past. And know that you are not staring at that one thing. But God, that you are looking at them, seeing them through the lens of your son. And saying that you love them. Thank you for your unending love for us, God. Thank you for giving us another day to to share the gospel and to hear the gospel and to respond to it. And we pray that everything would be done in your name. We pray it all, Jesus.